Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jones of all ages, welcome to the main event of the evening. It's Talking Joe with Chief and Steve. Yo, yo! Yo, Joe! Hey, 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 me the dog of the chief, you Jabba no Baga. It's S Jabs, how's it going, chief? Yes, uh, it is going okay, I think. Oh. I think, um, I well. I sense some trepidation. Well, I am backed up to the to the gills down here in Castle Chief. Actually, I'm also, it's very cold. It's uh, five degrees in my loft at the moment. It's five degrees yeah. C. Well, so, I feel like so, taking a temperature check right now. Do <laughs> What's it. The temperature? Oh, gosh. Uh, um, 22 degrees centigrade okay. yes, up yes. in Townsville. Yes, very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I recently, or on the this week's episode of The Outer Timers, the other show I do, we had Ben's wife come on and I was chatting to her and one of the things we chatted about was my hobbies and me needing to kind of either scale back or get some kind of time management going on and unfortunately I didn't do that and it's kind of reared its ugly head this week so I have only just prior to us coming on to record finished reading the two issues I had to watch a couple of episodes of Clone Wars for the Clone Wars animated show recap a podcast that I'm doing with Ben so I had to cram those in between putting the kid down and then reading these issues and jumping straight onto here with you. I've got out of timers to record on Thursday, but there's a movie of the week that I need to watch that I haven't watched, so I've got to watch that tomorrow. I've also got I've also got to edit the Clone Wars episode which will go out on Friday, which I haven't done yet. And then also me and you have got a special Talking Joe episode to record ourselves on Friday, and I haven't done the homework for that yet. Chief your head's going to explode, buddy. <laughs> Do you want to sit this one out? You can get a head start on, on those issues. I'll just Never. solo this one. <laughs> Never. Uh, prior to us recording, I sent you some images of, of something I received in the post today, and it was a couple of boxes of Star Wars Imperial Assault figures and expansions. So that is even more minifigures that I are unpainted that n- now need to be painted so I'm definitely my, my, I'm definitely going to do this at the weekend probably draw up like a pin board of chief activities <laughs> and hobbies and kind of not hardcore schedule them in for specific times and dates but well no actually I'm going to do that I am going to schedule in evenings of this now you watch this and this now you paint this this now you read this to mm-hmm. initially for a few weeks just to kind of get a handle on things and i'm not going to try and spread myself too thin within each category so rather than i've got a daredevil comic reread on the go with a 2000 ad one with a a deadly class one and something else i've got the all these different rereads on the go pair all that down keep it to the weekly joe stuff and just maybe my daredevil stuff when when that's done move on to the next one so i'm not feeling like i have to get through a certain amount of stuff within each genre and also movies rather than having to feel like shit i need to watch five movies this week what's wrong with watching two movies chief stride the renaissance man of fan (laughs) culture you just do it all bro (laughs) how have you been 
Oh, uh, fine. Uh, I think I, I mentioned off air that every day is feeling the same. I am in this kind of no man's land of perpetual uh, nothingness. It's very weird. There's no routine except the routine that I make for myself. But yeah. what is fun is, uh, well, our fan pursuits, man. You're keeping me busy uh, with comic <laughs> rereads and things like that, things that I otherwise maybe wouldn't be doing. So it does provide structure. And what better structure to have than the structure provided by Talking Joe? That's hey, it. That's it. what fun. I got homework. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Um, listen, I sent you a picture. Oh, yeah, we're going to uh, the snack police. Oh, yeah. Tedder chips, crisps, biscuits and candy, washing them down with a whiskey or a brandy, chewy sweets, cookies, building and jerky, snacks running fear because we got them at our mercy. We're snackers, attackers. Bad mother truckers and we're eating all the crackers, munchers, crunchers, knockout snacks like we're heavyweight punchers. The snack police are in there, his house. Jeez, Chief, so, you're getting very, very, very uh, technical in your snackage these days. Well, there's a there's a curveball there for you. I sent you a picture earlier saying, look, I made this sushi. This homemade vegan sushi and... Let me guess, gonna, your daughter gobbled them up. I was going to eat that on the show tonight. No, I gobbled it up because it's it's nine, it's ten past nine p.m. over here in the UK and that is way too late for the chief to be eating a meal. So, uh, so you're going to uh, give I me a rating as like reported speech. Like this snack was a... No, I've got another one. I've got another ah, one. Very I've good. got a... I'll send you a picture now and also... By the time this goes out, I will have posted the pictures of the previous snacks, which I still haven't done yet as time of recording. Add that to the list. Ah, oh, he's back with the knackered. Yes, it's an N-A-K-D full stop. Salted caramel. Excellent. Let's see how it compares to the banana. Raw fruit and nut. Yeah, what was it? It was just banana, the last one, I think. No, wasn't it like strawberry? I don't know. Oh, Strawberry Sunday. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Which sounds like a protein shake flavour. So, <laughs> very chewy, very caramelly, not getting any salt. Um, Overall, though, pleasant. Nice. Yeah, 7 out of 10. Anything that bears the salted caramel flavour, I think, is an instant turn-on for me. I'm like, ice cream? Yes, please. Yep. I, I do it feel seems, it seems decadent, you know, the salt and the sweet, yeah. savoury. I sweet. do feel that it is one of those trendy things, though. Go back like two years, three years. There was no such thing as salted caramel wherever you went. Now it's bloody everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, don't you find? Uh, and same thing like uh, the sushi revolution of the early noughties. Like, yeah. no one ate sushi, and then all of a sudden, everyone ate sushi. But maybe salted caramel is here to stay. Sushi yeah. certainly hasn't gone out of favour, and I can't stand the stuff. Oh, <laughs> my snack! I don't even know what to expect because <laughs> you know, t- Talking Joe is the show that really breaks me out of my comfort zone. Biltong, this is not. It's no. gluten-free harvest snaps, black bean baked crisps. But the mm. illustration or the, the the photograph on the package is dill pickles, like sliced pickles, or yes. or gherkins if you if you will which just has me all kinds of confused i don't know what to expect when i open this bag will it be beans will it be pickles will it be chips i don't know but here we go i'm peering into the foil and uh, oh dear man it looks like dog food oh no 
<laughs> I will definitely take a picture of this for the socials, but I'm putting one in my mouth. Anything could happen. Hmm. It's a lot more savory than I had expected. Okay. I Have expected got- it to taste like cardboard, but okay. it is not. They taste like like those kind of air popped, you know, those inflated crisps, yes. not crisps, maize snacks or They're kind of like light. knickknacks. Mm. All right. Yep. Huh. Okay. That is not um, unedible. <laughs> not as bad as you anticipated. No. Made with select black beans. Okay. Well. Right. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll enjoy that. Okay. Yeah. Breaking me out of my comfort Have zone. Have you got a beverage to wash it down? Uh, Just good old H2O, man. H2O. That's... Life giver. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fresh and cold. That's it. Now then, uh, issues of the week, because we are going to Comic Talk. It's Comic Talk, it's Comic Talk, baby. Chief and Steve discussing like crazy. Larry Harmer riding these bad boys, making sense of the wackiest toys. Listen as we talk about story arcs, making noise louder than junkyard box. Talking about character motivations and all the various G.I. Joe fun locations. Oh yeah. And we've got issues 181 and 182 of Real American Hero. So let's do a quick cover check here. I've got the A cover, which is by Ron Friends and Sal Bashima. And this is Destro, Big Head. And I'm not saying Destro's got a big head, but it's just a, a, a big Destro <laughs> head on the cover. And because we know that some of his later figures had pinheads. But mm-hmm. in the foreground, we've got the Baroness unleashing hell. Yeah, uh, it's cool. It looks very like spy movie. Because yep. you've got those kind of like big globes in the background. Of course, it has very little relevance to the issue. So yes. it doesn't <laughs> doesn't pass the diagnostic test. No. Uh, the other cover is uh, Herb Trimpey after yes. Larry Harmer pencils. And it's Darklon strangling out Roadblock from behind with his chain. Which is very dynamic and has extreme relevance to the issue. Darklon's got these crazy glowing orange eyes. Uh, yep. The helmet looks lovingly um, reproduced. And the helmet is quite a plot point, as we'll get on to later. Most but, definitely, uh, most definitely. Yeah, between yeah, the two covers, ones, I, I prefer uh, Mr. Trimpey's. Whoa! Yeah, I, th- I, think, ooh, I think I'll go the same, actually, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next issue, we've got just a regular cover and Larry's Retailer Incentive. The regular cover is by Ron Friends and Sal Bashima again. We've got a... And it's kind of... Whereas the last one was a big... Destro head with Baroness in the foreground. Here we've got a big Storm Shadow head with Snake Eyes in the foreground. Abstract stuff. Maybe they were working on these covers without an, a, a sort of a plot outline from Larry. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only just spotted the yin-yang, actually. Ah, yeah. It's, it's interesting how they've posed Snake Eyes to fit in the black portion of the yin-yang. I mean, yeah. he goes over the edges a little bit, but... Uh, his posture is kind of setting up a yin-yang shape, which yeah. isn't easy to do. I'm sure it was a, a challenge that the artist faced uh, at the outset. He's like, hey, how do I get Snake Eyes to fill that black portion? <laughs> Probably toyed yeah. with a few ideas. And then the retailer incentive, uh, we just get the, the pencils from Larry, and it looks like Road Pig is swinging his mallet. Zorana's there. And you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to guess who the third figure was if you hadn't read the issue, especially because it's a new, a new character as well. I imagine this was something he was going to kick over to Herb, but uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, Herb's health had started failing at that point. 
Yes, yeah. Mm. yeah. When did he pass away, Herb? Was it around uh, this time? I don't know. No, I think it was this... I, I could be completely wrong, but like I, I seem to feel like it was 2016. Okay. So it I'm wasn't just... quite this era, but, but shortly yeah. after. Yeah. Just for clarity, then, these are issues from 2012, August and September 2012. Okay. Uh, first issue here is obviously Larry Harmer's script. S.L. Gallant is artist, and Gary Erskine is on inks with Jay Brown on colours. And for the next issue, um, I think we've got here, yeah, Ron Friends is the art with Sal Bushima inking and Jay Brown on colours. Okay, well, I think what we need right now is uh, Last Time on a Real American Hero. Immediately after the victory against the Blue Ninjas at Broca Beach, Cobra Commander attempts to capture the small band of G.I. Joes who assisted him. Destro interrupts and saves Cobra Commander and the Joes from bomb-wielding Blue Ninjas in guise of Crimson Guards. Snake Eyes, Scarlet and Stalker must infiltrate the San Diego Comic Convention to find a terrorist who is attempting to hand off a nuclear triggering device to another agent. While the Joes track down the rogue terrorist, Cobra Commander attempts to sell the destroyed Broca Beach headquarters. Meanwhile, at the pit, just before he is in to be handed over to the International Court for War Crimes, Darklon delivers an ominous warning. Ah, good stuff, man, and thanks for that. Sometimes I need the recaps, because <laughs> just like my days, these issues tend to blur into one. Yeah. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed these two issues, but I'm still a little bit confused about the overall things that are going I think I understood what was happening in these issues, but I don't understand the the pulling of strings about why some of the stuff is happening. It feels to me that instead of tying up loose ends, Larry just adds a new thread. Certainly does. <laughs> you know, like it's it you never quite get the satisfaction of like getting the whole master plan. I mean, like there's a erroneous appearance of a blue ninja in this issue yes, which yes. like makes you wonder, well, okay, is he operating alone? Exactly. Is there still some kind of mastermind that he's taking orders from? So, yeah, it's all sorts of confusing, but the elements that are there are satisfying. Most yeah. definitely. I've written yeah. down, you know, several pointers here and I'm looking for motivation. So, blue ninja's one of them. Uh, mm. Zorana and Co is one of them. Darklon, Pale Peony, Joes, and Destro, and I think they've all got motivations running through this storyline. But I'm just not really sure about any of the motivations of any of them. I haven't put Zartan on there as well because he wants to get mm. back into Cobra Central Command rather than a hired gun. He wants actual status, as it were. Seems a bit out of character for Zartan to want to be rank and file Cobra. You know, card yeah. carrying. I, I always imagined he enjoyed his independence, but yeah, he's he's gone this far, this long without needing it. So I don't know what the sudden. I guess him, like me, wants to see the glory days of Cobra reinstated. I'm like, <laughs> come on, CC, start yeah. kicking ass and taking names, baby. Yeah, um, I did mention Destro there briefly, and although he only appears in a couple of pages, where he's some nice ones, where he's fencing, he's mm. you know not as in putting in fence posts. He's actually. You know, <laughs> <laughs> though that would sword, be kind of funny <laughs> sword fighting and um man of the land the baroness is is doing some some admin on her computer with a, her computer's got a really nice uh destro logo stamped on the front kind of in, in place of an <laughs> apple apple symbol yeah and she's tra tracing back all the i don't know all the company records and things of of uh, where he handed off the information to the Joes in those previous issues that led them mm. to the comic convention. 
and she might have found something interesting. Do we really know why Destro gave them that information back back in the last previous issues? I'm just trying to because obviously this whole ste- this whole thing stemmed from the information he gave the Joes. He did mention something about getting the Joes to to kind of do his dirty work. I think that was anyway. We see something in these first few pages which we haven't really seen from Larry Harmer in a G.I. Joe comic before. You know, the superhero genre, especially in the 90s, most definitely suffered from oversexed female characters in terms of their attire and their portrayal. Mm. And we kind of get that here in a parodying kind of comedy sense. Obviously, Larry's not put, putting it in there for any other reason than to say, look how ridiculous some of these superhero comics were. But it still felt a little bit out of place to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he definitely had something to say. I mean, Larry has been to a lot of conventions, and I suppose he's witnessed firsthand the kind of harassment that female cosplayers get. So, yeah, man, why not make a very pointed remark within the comic that you're authoring? Yeah. Is that Power Girl that is being parodied? I believe so, yes. Yep. The sort of the boob window. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. What a costume design. That supposedly got explained. Jeff Johns, longtime DC comic writer. I haven't read it, but in the, in a Power Girl comic, he had her explain as part of the story why she has that window cut out in her costume. Oh, I'm uh, dying to hear the explanation now. Uh, and apparently, it, do you, yeah, do you it, remember it, Chief? No, I haven't read it. I, I heard it on another podcast. but um, Is it not it, like the Punisher's uh, idea behind the skull being a kind of a shoot me here? Right, okay. <laughs> bad guys should aim for the chest. <laughs> I think it I think it may well have been. Apparently it went down really, really badly. It was just like, oh, you know, considered an awful piece of storytelling. But it was something along the ridiculous lines of, I use my sex as a weapon against the enemy, you know, to distract <sighs> them or something horrendous like that. There's no other way to play it, is there? It's yeah. like, it's it's the boob window. I mean, I'm absolutely going into battle with cleavage on full display <laughs> you know if you're not going to break the fourth wall and say this is a this is playing into our target market then yeah. you've got to make it about i suppose distracting the enemy yeah, that's which it. Oh, man silliness right listen back to the issue one of the first things i wrote down here was Darklon, is he now considered to be a creditable threat off just off the back of these two issues do you think i'd say so they've super powered him up really not in terms of his doesn't have superpowers but in terms of intellect especially yeah man he was just a wheeler dealer in uh, previous encounters now he's a very much a credible threat backed up by a nerve center all the way in Darklonia that seems to have respawned its uh <laughs> it's yeah. troop complement so i mean gi <laughs> joe have, have abducted Darklon, and they as you can possibly recall laid waste to everyone in yep. his uh in his organization but uh, they're all back and and back at their jobs and doing famously that's it that's it and like you say they also he's got t- mad tech like troopers yeah. they can virtually disappear crazy i thought that was that's when they infiltrate the pit don't they the pythonized the mark four pythonized suits yeah and i thought for, you know while that was happening it felt a little bit of a role reversal because normally you see the joes almost taking advantage of cobra or the enemy and infiltrating and getting in under the radar but they the the cobra never i know this is not cobra but no one ever seems to get one over on the joes in that regard or be able to slip one past them now obviously later on you find out that the joes wanted darklon to escape because they put a tracking beacon on him 
But I don't know if they would have factored into the plans of some of Darklon's troops making it into the pit. Or I suppose how else would he have escaped? I don't know. Road Because Roadblock is kind of a patsy in a way because he goes in to check on Darklon and Darklon overpowers him and gets out. But they might not have considered Darklon would have troops get into the pit as well. Yeah, man. I, I can never quite decide who is playing into the, the infiltration and who is oblivious to it. Because Tollbooth driving that semi... Yeah. Uh, and having the AGPs fly up behind him is another example of like, okay, are, are you taking them to actually have active camouflage and be invisible? Or is he just really that bad at checking his rearview mirrors? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what's going on, man? Because those things, they're there one second and gone the next. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What did you take that to be? Well, Was that... it, it only leads to another conclusion, which is he's in on it. But... yeah. There's there's several times it's mentioned, you know, these guys don't have a need to know. So Outback and Muskrat and Ambush, who mm. go out chasing Darklon, they haven't got the need to know. But then even later on, Mainframe has, has pulled some information. Scarlet's asking about it, and Mainframe tells Scarlet, you don't have the need to know. You're not high enough rank. So it seems strange. I don't know what rank Tollbooth is. <laughs> There are only three Joes in that nerve center. Like, who does have the need to know? Is this just yeah. for Duke's eyes only? Seems that yeah. way. I like Duke because uh, there's, a, there's a good page early on when he's saying about the throwdown because we also get a bit of a flashback of what, what happened in the comic convention where Snake Eyes, they were tailing that person and it turns out to be someone called Pale... Is it Pale Peony? Would you pronounce it that way? I'm so glad you took a stab at it first, Chief. <laughs> yeah, I, I will accept. Pale Peony. Pale Peony, Pale, who has got some kind of Yakuza name. ties and has also, you know, I just want to read out this bit. Um, she was utilizing esoteric techniques used by certain Yakuza clans when Snake Eyes employed the Arashikage counter techniques. She switched immediately to non-lethal forms. Um, and then Stalker comes up with, the inference is that she had encountered the Arashikage forms before and was not inclined to kill a member of that clan. Snake Eyes decided that since he already had possession of the drive, he did not want to continue a combat with a person who would defer to his adopted family in that way. Hmm. Snake Eyes has purloined the drive. I'm going to keep calling it the Krypton drive. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> And then he's let her go, effectively. And there's this wordy explanation, which I found quite, you know... I. I it, Sometimes when you're expositing, is that the word? Snake eyes in a thought. <laughs> in a in a thought, it can get a little bit. Oh, that just sounds a bit fu- funky and not needed. But here, the Scarlet and Snot Stalker kind of thing actually sounds okay. But the the bit I really like is when Duke he's in total I don't give a shit mode. He's like, okay, I'm glad he <laughs> uses ninja pickpocketing skills to secure the drive. But I wish he had uh, the girl to debrief, which is what he really wanted. Cause, you know, he wanted her captured, but he doesn't give a shit about what Snake Eyes was doing. It seems like Duke's being utilized as the hard ass again, which is is welcome. That's how he was introduced, yeah. and then he kind of became very much more background uh, in Harmer's run. So it's nice that he's he's definitely not the kind of he's the commanding officer you can respect, but not necessarily the one you like. Yeah. Now you know, not good cop. I've got a question. Sure. Hopefully you can answer it. Pale Peony was there to hand off this drive to someone. We don't know who that someone was, do we? Oh, Chief, you beat me to it, man. I was gonna ask oh. you the same thing. <laughs> it's not 
it's not made clear. Okay. Uh, if there was a handoff that was supposed to happen, they only intercepted the the seller and not the buyer. And do we yeah. know where she got that from? Is that from Darklon originally? Or am I yes. completely barking up the wrong street? I, I assume from Darklon. I mean, we know that Darklon is the the the, the, the organ. Well, Darklon's people are the ones who secured it from Mars. You know, military armaments research system. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, so this makes sense. Why Destro wanted the Joes to go in and snuff out the deal, right? Okay, because yeah. it was effectively something from his his weapons cache. That yes, of course, mm. yes, it makes sense. Makes sense. I must say, I'm not a fan of uh, or Snake Eyes being explained by Scarlet. I mean, it borders on actual psychic link stuff. I yeah. mean, the detail. It's like maybe Snake Eyes had a written report and he handed it off, but like it feels like Storm uh, Snake. Eyes, what am I saying? Another S. Scarlet has been reading Snake Eyes's thoughts all the way since issue one, yeah. when he sort of waves his hands about, and she's like, mm, "What Snake Eyes is trying to say is, yeah. why don't we just <laughs> bomb the island and take out Doctor Burkhart that way?" Yeah, uh, and uh, and uh, look, you you hit the nail on the head there. An operation like this would 100% have had an after-action report, which Snake Eyes would have filed and Duke would have read. So, you know, maybe timelines are tight, but there you go. There are other ways of of skinning the cat or debriefing the snake, as it were. But uh, Um, Psychic Link is is Harmer's way of choice. Yeah, ninja bullshit. Um, (laughs) So... So the other thing I like about these stories is we're getting loads of throwback characters here. We get Lifeline, we get Psych Out, um, we've got Tunnel Rats in there, Tripwire pops up, you know, absolute Your man Blowtorch. Is he? Uh, in the next issue, sorry, ah. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. No, that's, that's cool, we, we, we discuss them all as one, that's fine. I must have missed that, you, you know, when we look out for him in a minute then. There's a cameo on one page where a guy called Charbroil walks past. Okay. I don't know if you're aware of the figure. He's yeah, a, a yeah. G.I. Joe flamethrower from 1988. But he's wearing like a green... It looks green in the in the panel. But uh, I can only imagine the artist is trying to evoke his Night Force look, which was like a, a midnight blue. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting choice. Nice, nice little, uh, little member berry, if you... <laughs> yeah if if you know what i mean yeah 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 good stuff good stuff and you're gonna point out this but i'm gonna beat you to it because i've spotted something because i'm not good with the details but i've spotted <laughs> something that i i know you would have brought up and that's later on when we see outback in his white shirt and then uh next issue he's in his black shirt ah uh, yes yeah. well we had different artists and i imagine the next crew are like he's doing operations at night can we change his t-shirt to black please exactly so yeah it's exactly. a practical yeah. choice i'll let that one yeah. slide i like to think because it's obviously the white is white with black writing and the black mm. is a black shirt with white writing i like to think that his shirt is reversible hey that's yeah. very cool very 90s isn't it yeah yeah i've got a uh I've got a San Antonio Spurs basketball shirt, which is the, the same thing, reversible, and the colours invert when you when you oh. flip it round. So, yeah, cool, oh, well, buddy. I, I'm, a, I'm I'm without back on that one. Two shirts for the price of one. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Just watch out for the bo, brother. <laughs> um yeah uh i don't know where i'm just on that page now where the blue ninja pops up so let's just crack on with them one panel blue ninja pops up and well he's in several panels actually before road pig tears him apart 
When Pale Peony is escaping from the comic convention, she gets into a van and we don't know if that's her accomplices or not, but as it turns out, it, I don't think it is because next time we see her, she's in a locked box and a blue ninja's coming to effectively put her away or question her, etc. Now, what were these blue ninjas' motivation here for capturing her? Do they just, they're aware of this drive and they want to get their hands on it, I assume? Yeah, it's not explained within these two issues, unfortunately. And Pale Peony's uh, ninja skill seems to have failed her at the, the critical moments because she got yeah. into a van that was clearly uh, circumspect. I mean, like, the one guy had been eviscerated. The van itself had been, like, bisected, though it seems to have healed between <laughs> issue 180 and issue 181. Correct. I don't know if you noticed, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, and the guy in the passenger seat, I don't know, either he was keeping mum or he was also dead. But uh, she she managed to board a van that, that you know her accomplices had been slaughtered and there was yep. a strange man in the or strange machine <laughs> in the driver's seat. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Nice to see Road Pig back though. I like Road Pig. Yeah, great to see Road Pig back. I wonder what he's all about. And he yep. seems to have harmonised his uh, split personality at least in this issue. Yes, yes. Still rocking a cod piece though, which is always good. <laughs> um, Outstanding. As as referenced in the, the Harmer pencils later on in the next issue, he is literally going to try and take Pale Peony's head off with his mallet. So that would have been an interesting splash page if that had been allowed to go ahead. <laughs> Big time. Carnage. Shall we move on to the yeah. next issue, Bert? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Mm. Quickly, that last one. The art I thought was fantastic. Gallant yes. is fully in his stride now. It's literally, he's in his chief stride. He is... <laughs> Hitting all the numbers, hitting all the spots. You know, I can't fault any of the art there at all. It's fantastic. And moving on to the next issue, Ron Friends, who is a big kind of, I think we mentioned previously, he's a big kind of superhero artist in the Mm -hmm. 80s, late 70s, did a lot of Spider-Man, actually did a lot of Marvel stuff especially. And I think his art here is fantastic as well. Yes, good with the humans, but when trying to get the, the vehicles on model, yes. there's some problems. I mean, we're spoiled because in the previous issue, Gallant work on the AGP, the Hammer, and all the kind of cameo vehicles is dead on. The guy, it, it feels like he had the toys to hand. Yeah. Whereas Ron Friends, if I was to guess, it, it, it almost feels like he had a minute to overview the toy and then kind of um, had to kind of draw it from memory as it were because the hammer that we see on the first page is it looks kind of chibified yeah it's it's squashed to fit the frame and the weapons loadout is incorrect the the windows are incorrect so darklon in this issue has escaped the pit he's overpowered roadblock but roadblock was in on it the three joes that are pursuing him in the desert are not aware of that although they they do they do come to that conclusion later that they're potentially in the dark about the mm. whole scenario. They piece it together. And then Darklon, yeah. he's escaped, but he's aware of it as well because he says the Joes are no fools. They know how to extrapolate and double thinking and even triple thinking. They know that I know that they let me escape. So he is oh. even smarter than the Joes, we think. Convoluted. But he says that the Joes will know that he left a, a sort of arms cache, but they yeah. don't know that it would be left with the as the means to mitigate pursuit. 
But I mean, what else would a, a hidden arms cache be for other yes. than to like deter pursuers? Yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. I'm so confused by that page particularly. Unless he was talking, he says they will no doubt have assumed I have been left a cache, but he doesn't say weapons cache, so maybe they mm, were just thinking an supplies. escape cache, supplies cache, not weapons. But surely they're going to leave him a weapon anyway. They're not going to leave him <laughs> defenceless. Oh, man. But they've given him a sniper rifle. It's dizzying. Yeah, no, he's definitely the hunted becoming the hunter at this stage. Yeah, and so well, his plan is just to escape, but along the way he's trying to you know, counteract and counterthink everyone. The Joe's plan was to let him escape and tag him. But if Darklon's so clever and he knows that they let him escape, surely he would know he's been tagged. Maybe in the next issue he deals with that, but I don't know. Then there's some red herrings about the bloody Crichton being inside the Joe base and having some component that could be activated at close range. Yes. Which leads me to believe that maybe Darklon's real goal is to be recaptured I mean, I don't remember what comes next, so this is my theory. That his goal is to be recaptured now that he's in possession of something that will activate that Crichton and, I don't know, trigger some weapon system inside the Joe base. (laughs) Hey, I'm spitballing here. But there's something that that really, like, jumped out at me on the previous page. Yes. There's a dialogue between Duke and Scarlet, and it's got a killer punchline from Scarlet. I think she gets the real hero line in it where Duke says in reference to the three Joes who are out there without a clue that they're hunting a guy who's been let out on purpose and Duke says they know the ROE Scarlet and Scarlet says I'm sure they do but Darklon doesn't abide by any ROE which is a great bit of scripting in theory but if you think about what Duke's actually saying it makes no sense. Okay, rules of engagement are the rules under which a soldier can engage the enemy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't shoot a person who's surrendering or, or you can't shoot someone in the back who's running away, I guess, yeah. we, is, is something that they, they do later. But um, if Darklon starts opening fire, I'm firing back. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. Those are the rules of engagement. But, like, I just feel like what Duke should be saying at this point is something along the lines of... Um, they know what they're up against. Yeah. Is what he should be saying. Because th- this has got nothing to do with rules of engagement. No. They just, they know that they're up against a lone cornered man. To which Scarlet could say, I'm sure they do know what they're up against, but they don't know why. You get what I'm saying? That, that fits the, the, the facts a little bit better than the scripting that, that's on the page. Exactly, exactly. And it does feel a little bit like the reason why they're in the dark is purely for story progression there's no Mm. logical reason really why they would be kept in the dark i don't think um and the other thing is when darklon does escape and muskrat doesn't you know fire on him or doesn't try and get him that doesn't really make any sense if he's if they're you know a man hunting unit they're going to have like tasers or stun weapons so i think they probably could have captured him but or for keeping up appearances yeah no i uh... Here we see, like, the, the problem with uh, G.I. Joe trying to operate a little bit too secretively. Yeah. These layers yeah. of, like, pay grade and, damn, man. I, I don't know, man. It's dizzying. <laughs> For me, these are actually only minor nitpicks. I don't actually mind any of this stuff. We're, we're kind of sure. pulling it apart a little bit. But in the when I was reading these two issues together, 
maybe we think about and we grade these issues differently when we're writing notes as we're reading them you know every time every now and again i'll see a panel or a page and i'll get the pen and paper out and i'll scribble some notes down just to reference them during the podcast maybe if i wasn't bothered about taking notes and i'm just reading it the first time round for fun maybe you get a different view on it maybe over analyzation can be a problem yeah definitely but there's no going back, man. How do I disengage my grown-up brain? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I want yeah. I want to be impressed, yeah. I guess. Maybe I've set the bar too high. It's a problem. Um, it, it really is a problem, Chief. But then again, it makes it... When you have an absolute masterstroke come across your eyes, it makes that moment that much more sweet. When yeah. you're like, Agreed. I can't fault this. And yeah. maybe we'll be encountering uh, such a work very shortly (laughs) yes i think you're right hint hint wink wink special episode Mm. coming soon back to this one motivations i want to jump on these again zarana and road pig had allied themselves with pale peony previously to her going to the comic convention i think hadn't they and yeah yeah they definitely referenced that they had a and they had a deal and what was their they want to their motivation is they want to take over from i guess what darklon destro as arms suppliers themselves i think at this stage they were looking at being the middlemen you know right. they were going to work for darklon and broker this deal that actually didn't come off i am of the opinion that they don't know what they're doing okay i mean yeah. at the very end pale peony um has the line about uh wanting to um insert themselves into the structure uh not as a hostile takeover but as a stealth merger that's it um that's pretty vague so it's it's leaving it open-ended but it seems like they definitely have eyes on darklon's organization yeah big time a couple of bits to catch up on here interestingly this i imagine i think it does most definitely i think it does get fleshed out pale peony mentions that she studied occult swordsmanship with storm shadow's aunt in the mountains of akiyama ken which is a little bit of a a drop there of info which will get picked up later and then the, the kind of rest of the issue mainly is caught up with outback muskrat and ambush in a in a in a standoff with Darklong, which was quite reminiscent of Ripcord and Zartan on Cobra Island, yeah, I thought from issue forty six or forty seven, I think it is. Brilliant! I, th- I quite like that stuff. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and moved it quite a lick because fortunately there are a lot of wordless panels. Yeah, yeah. Very nice work, particularly with uh, four inset panels, and that's kind of overlaid on top of a a, a star field. And yeah. then beneath that, the star field kind of fades into Darklon, kind of creeping over a cliff edge. Yeah, very, a... very cool layout. Uh, I think yep. Ron Friends was showing off there. Nice, nice. Do you feel like perhaps uh, Road Pig has actually had a bit of a transplant of personality at this point? Um, because he's no longer Road Pig and Donald. Yes. It's I... now a case of like he's harmonized these two characters and he's got some tood bro like he snaps at zorana and says shut up zorana which is something that i never would have imagined him saying because he he absolutely kowtowed to her at every point possible as donald yeah i think it's a combination probably of the meds he's been taking and the roids (laughs) 
So <laughs> yeah. mi- mix up uh, mix up that cocktail, and I think you've got the new the new. I don't want to say improved because I don't want to say taking roids and mixing them with your meds is is an improvement. But I'm going to say it. We've got the new and improved road pig. Feels to me like there might be a, an element of seven year itch as well. Like, yeah. do you think maybe uh, Zorana finally let him in? I think possibly, yeah. Yeah, now she's regretting it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now he's got all this lip because... That's you know, it, yeah. That thing yeah. that he's pined for all his life. He, he yeah. got it. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, little interlude as well we get in this one with Cobra Commander is exiting Brocker Beach. He sold it to those guys in that quality scene from the, the other issue. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. we get something... Now, I've just... This pulled me into a movie I just watched recently. I watched the Matrix trilogy recently. And oh, nice. the Clutch and Rock and Roll are tailing uh, three guys. It's three CGs in a car. And they're all kind of acting as if they're... It felt like Agent Smithy to me. They're all kind of acting <laughs> almost a little bit monotonous and robotic in, in the way they're talking and acting. And, yeah, they're either Terminators or Agent Smith. And they they've kind of pulled back to... Um, let the convoy effectively get away and then they pull their shooters out and, and have a big firefight with Clutch and Rock and Roll. But I don't think it's going to be that hard to track a big convoy <laughs> leaving leaving a town, do you? Look, I I mean, it's so well publicised by this point that Broker Beach is Cobra's Beach that, uh, I mean, the, the fact that the Joes need to actually have like people on the ground physically tailing this convoy is a bit of a joke. I mean, yeah. surely they have multiple surveillance set up both passive and active surveillance so like yeah it kind of harks back to some old trade craft but it, really it's unnecessary a yep. big conspicuous convoy filled with cobra tanks <laughs> loaded into the back of trucks probably arbco circus on the side totally as well. man this is yeah this um, is i got a uh, military hardware question for you mm, i'll try and answer so rock and roll rock and roll pulls out the uh the shooter and he says, I've loaded a special belt with alternating M61 and M62 armor-piercing and tracer all the way. I've heard it lots of times in, in different forms, but I don't actually know what tracer is. Uh, it's a bullet that's got a charge of, I think, phosphorus at the end. So okay. as it flies out of the gun, you as the, the gunner, and, and I suppose the, anyone observing, actually sees a streak. Right. Because as, as bullets fly... It, Typically, you don't see anything. Yes. But a tracer round is specifically designed to be very bright. And even in daylight, you'll see it glinting. So it's like, an, it's like a, uh, an assistance in terms of seeing where your bullets are landing, effectively. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, yeah. Uh, but, right. I mean, the side effect of it in this, uh, <laughs> in this instance is that it uh, actually sets yeah. the car alight. Yes. Because, yes. yeah, it, it is a burning um, charge of, of, as I say, I think it's phosphorus. Um, at the at the at the end of the bullets, right? Okay, mm. all right, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. wow, chief, you didn't know that, birdie. Awesome, yeah, that's it, that's it. I'll tell you who else pops up at the end of this one. Low light. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. He kind of saves Muskrat's life. I mean, it, it's kind of his mo, isn't it? To be the night yeah. night sniper. Perfect, perfect utilization. It's like if low light wasn't in this mission, we'd probably be scratching our heads saying, why wasn't low light invited? Yeah, yeah. But uh, good to know that, uh, and it kind of serves to justify Duke's level of secrecy because he had a an ace card, kind of uh, guardian angel, as it were, looking after these three guys anyway. So yeah, yeah. And good, it, kind of, good, it, good. it kind of ends, the Dad Darklon saga ends with him getting away effectively. So he's got this Pythonized conquest 
Uh, he's he's out of there. Where did that come from? Yeah. It's yeah. just out of nowhere, man. We just parked a jet, an invisible jet. <laughs> no Wonder Woman insights. But hey, did you check out the, the <laughs> nice. Evader getting a few panels? The Evader? Darklon's uh, Evader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulls Sweet. a tarpaulin off and... Yeah. Yeah. I quite like the redesign that Friends added. I mean, the, the it, he's turned it into a half track, which yes. makes perfect sense to me. I mean, a, yeah, a recumbent bike on the desert floor makes... Very little sense. <laughs> yeah, that looks cool. That's dying out for a custom build, that. I'm telling you. Badass. Yeah, yeah. Jim, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, Jim, get on it. Get on it. Uh, Jim's been posting some wild stuff up on the, uh, on the, up on the Facebooks. Uh, of all the, the man um, is an artiste. The custom stuff. Genius. That is phenomenal. Absolutely in awe of that. Listen, I also, lastly, before we move on, um, you mentioned Pelpini saying it's a stealth takeover. The panel before that... You know, in several panels, they're all drinking cocktails out of pineapples. Road Pig's actually <laughs> eating his pineapple. Would you expect anything less? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a guy. Yeah. There's a guy over his left shoulder who's eating his vitamins yeah. to go with those roids. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's aghast. <laughs> that guy over his left shoulder. He's like, what do I let myself in for here? Nice. Good stuff. Um, are we yo-joing or not? I, I think this is the middle of a story arc, so I'm potentially not. <laughs> but uh, I, this definitely gets a, a high seven for me if we are yo-joing it. Huh, cool. All right. Yeah, well, I, would, I, would, I would put it at a seven. Okay. Why cool. not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, listen, so arbitrary at this point. We've talked, we've talked comics, yeah. But now we need to talk toys, and I think you're the man to do that. Steve talks about toys, ho, ho. Steve talks about G.I. Joe. He talks about all the toys from the comic book and the animated show. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. You bet, Chief. I've just dropped you a a, a link instead of actual images this time because because okay. these guys I'll... do it a lot better than I could possibly. Okay, I've got two percent. I've got two percent oh. battery power, so let's see if it loads without closing down. Ah, there it is. Yeah, I got Bam. it. Bam! 3D Joes, and yes. the vehicle under discussion today is none other than the high-tech attack jeep with dual missile launchers, aka 1990s Hammer. If the look of this vehicle is familiar, it should be. Okay. Because this is G.I. Joe's first take, and I'd say best take, on the ubiquitous Hummer. Yeah. Which is something that came into usage in the sort of the late or mid to late 80s in the United States Armed Forces. And G.I. Joe decided what better way to present the Hummer than by just slapping weapons all over it. <laughs> this thing is so heavily armed. It's got three enormous cannons up front. You know, two of them on these kind of arms that swing out. Yep. Uh, and they have a sort of 180 degree arc. The, the top-mounted turret has a 360-degree arc. And then mounted at the back, you've got six missiles, which are not spring-loaded, but they had a launching mechanism anyway, a sort of a manual mechanism called the Finger Flick Technology, or okay. FFT, yep. which you'd basically, like, get your finger in position behind the, the, the missile and then flick the little tip that's exposed, and it would pop out the front. Which is neat. Uh, it's nice to find your way around the, the spring action. But uh, it just makes me wonder why they didn't just go with spring action. I mean, 1990 yeah. was the year that started introducing that as a, 
as a mechanism with your toy. Okay. It's huge, Chief. This vehicle, this Jeep, dwarfs all other Jeeps that come before it. And as far as I'm concerned, it's effectively a troop transport. Right. Because while there are four seated positions, just counting the number of foot pegs and gunner positions that this thing possesses, you could fit approximately 13 troops on here, no Holy problem. Holy cow. Yeah. And the, the thing that I noticed, because I've actually had this vehicle to hand, I, had it, I have it in my collection back home, uh, courtesy of Jim Godfrey, actually, he, uh, he gifted it to me some, some years back by now, but uh, it's courtesy of him that I have the hammer to begin with. But the thing you notice, so thanks, Jim, but the thing you notice when you load this thing up with figures is it effectively doubles in weight. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's quite a hollow vehicle, actually. Uh, it's a single stamp mold. So it's one piece of plastic that has plastic pieces then clicked onto it. It's not like it's a, a bottom and a half that are then um, married together. So on its own, it's quite lightweight. You start loading it up with figures and bam, that thing just becomes like lead. Yeah. Which is great. It's very, very satisfying to have like a, a hefty toy. But it is a ball egg to complete, let me tell you. If you don't happen to have one mint in box and you're looking to complete it on the aftermarket, this thing has so many parts to it. It's got one of the most difficult antennas, sort of a whip antenna that is almost always broken because these things by their very nature have to be bent to to be implemented. Uh, And you might see in the images, it's kind of bent even further and kind of keyed into the roof of the vehicle. It's got a ammo box, which is a separate piece, a ammo belt, which is a separate piece. Yep. It's got seat belt clips, which are also a ball egg. Uh, I, I would suggest not even bothering if you don't have them with your hammer at the moment, because the idea was you clip them to the, the backs of your action figures before inserting them into the vehicle and kind of sliding them very awkwardly into the backs of the seats, which had a slot. Uh, it never really works out because it's such a cramped seat to try and maneuver your paws into. I mean, you'd need the hands of a child to do it anyway. Okay. Grown-up hands just cannot manage that at all. But it has some very, very neat features, and there's a lot of care and engineering that went into this vehicle. I'd say it's it's excellent. Uh, it certainly is a standalone in the 90s as something that is kind of... Yeah, it's 90s and bombastic, and it's weapons load out, but the... The base vehicle is very realistic and and very, very cool and well-engineered. It's got an opening engine cover, but it's actually, it flips forward like a a, a Humvee's hood would. Right. Which is something that I don't think we've seen much of. I mean, sure, we've had engine covers aplenty in the G.I. Joe lines at this point, but this one is actually incorporated as a feature and it flips forward and it's realistic and it's got a kind of a molded engine underneath with a a bit of plastic detail brought out by a different plastic color hair a bit of paint wouldn't go amiss to bring out the engine detail certainly something that uh i'm sure you would take to with some relish chief after (laughs) your minis Um, but yeah man it's it's nice to see that that kind of detail incorporated into a vehicle it didn't come with an action figure no which is a shame it's something this size really it warrants an a- action figure, but at the same time, Jeeps coming with action figures, I always thought was a bit of a wasted slot. Yeah, because surely everyone in the GI Joe force should be able to drive something as basic as a Jeep. Yeah, is there anything in the line around this size, physical size, 
that also didn't come with a figure? Or uh, Funny you should mention, because the, the Cobra answer to this, which is called the Cobra Rage, right. uh, which you might recall from those issues uh, in which we had yes, a high yeah, body yeah. count, yep. the Saw Viper yep. issues. So the Cobra Rage also didn't have an assigned figure and operator okay which once again i i don't have a, a problem with in the case of the hammer because it is just a you know it's a pretty vanilla jeep uh whereas the rage seems more like a specialized attack vehicle yeah so uh, it's with some relief that in later iterations of the rage they've actually made it a designated alley viper vehicle Right, okay. So the Alley Viper comes included with it. Because, yeah, it does seem like an urban operation vehicle. It's got a very low clearance, uh, very highly armed, comes with mines. But um, we might get onto the Rage at that later stage. Yes, yeah, yeah. I just found this the perfect opportunity to talk about the Hammer because yeah. it actually appears in both issues. And now that you've seen it, I think maybe you can agree that while Gallant nailed the appearance of the Hammer like absolutely nailed it, even down to the weapons compliment. Yes. Uh, Ron Friends was kind of drifting a little bit off model there. Yeah. Now, I, yeah, most definitely, I think I think that's spot on summary of that. I never had one. I don't, this is probably at the tail end of my collecting anyway, but mm-hmm. I had seen, I'd seen catalogs with it in and no, I was probably, when was it 1990, you say? Yes. Yeah, I, I was. I was still collecting at, the, at that time. But I, I didn't know anyone who had it, and I've seen it in catalogues. And I was never a fan of it, just from having looked at the pictures. It just felt a little bit too basic. And that's, that's a strange word to say, because you look at all the adornments on it and all the, the arsenal and, and the ordnance. So, but like you say, strip that away, and it just feels like a kind of plain vanilla-ish Hummer-style vehicle. And I think what had attracted me to G.I. Joe was almost the slightly outlandishness of the vehicles and the non-military spec almost although having said that things like the aircraft like the sky striker and rattler which are obviously based quite heavily on real world examples i was big big fans of but the land-based stuff i kind of liked a little bit of extra flair to it that kind of set it apart and i thought this was always a little bit too looked a bit plain and with all those weapons on it made it look a bit silly but now, mm. looking at these images, I think I'm getting a bit more love for it now. Look, it's over-designed. I think three massive guns, and they are oversized at that. Three of them up front is perhaps too, too many. Yeah. You could trim that down, and it would be a far more tasteful vehicle. But I think what is, uh, to its credit, is the fact that this late in the line, the 1990s, and they are still looking to real-world vehicles for inspiration. You know, we are awash with vehicles like the Cobra Hammerhead, which is totally sci-fi. You know, it's got all these detachable mini-subs, great for play features, but, like, has no real-world equivalent. To have something like the Hummer represented in G.I. Joe is something that I I come back to as as quite special. And they definitely took a lot of care and a lot of love to give it as much play feature as possible. There, There is a lot that comes in this set. It might not come with an occupant or an operator, but there's so much stuff. I didn't even get it into the fact that the top turret detaches and has a a separate tripod piece, which you can actually store in the back of the hammer, which, you know, the the hammer, sort of the back section split open. (laughs) It's a little bit creaky, but you can open it up. There's storage for weapons in there. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at at the other photos now, looking at the 3D images. 
rotating. And I can see it on the stand and that back split piece. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, two-piece tripod that you can then mount the machine gun to. And the removable box of ammo also has a slot inside the, the vehicle body, which is great. So you're getting a vehicle, but you're also getting a play pattern. You know, you could set up a, a sort of a lone machine gun post in addition to the hammer itself. So there's a lot of care being taken with the set, and I, I absolutely adore it. I think anyone who's snubbed it before, as I did, because I used to see catalog image of this and also think, I thought at the time, it's over-designed, those cannons on the side look silly, the missile launches are too much. It's like it, it needs to have less going on. Yeah. I think it's worth a second look. And it's got immense customizability as well. Yeah, most definitely. G.I. Joe Hasbro, in fact, customized it themselves in the, the second issue of this mold, which came in 2002, called The Brawler. I think I sent you an image. They just yeah. popped off the top turret and in its place popped on a massive multi-missile launcher, <laughs> yeah. which uh, is a little bit audacious, but uh, props for them for trying, man. They, they made something new out of this vehicle. It also featured a, a mottled camo pattern, which is a bit hit or miss. I don't know. Do you like it? What, the brawler? Yeah. I prefer the hammer, I think. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I think the camo is a bit weird. It's not It's not very camo-ish. No. It's a bit too loud. But it, hey, it was 2002. We, we took what we could get. And then there was a convention exclusive in 2008, which was the last time we saw this mold and it's kind of redressed it as a SWAT vehicle. Very, very cool. Did it up in black with some SWAT stickers. Came with a, an exclusive version of Bullhorn. Uh, and this is very sought after and very rare. Yeah. So if you see one, grab hold of it with all dear life. It looks cool, man. Very cool. And there you have it, the hammer. The hammer. I think I, I actually do. I'm looking at these. I've just been watching these images spin on my on my laptop for about ten minutes as you've been talking. And every time it spins around, I'm like, actually, this is a cool vehicle. So my love for it is growing by the by the minute over here in uh, Castle Chief. But I think I still prefer the Or Striker as a jeepish vehicle. Although this, like you mentioned, is more of a transport troop carrier rather than a uh, you know a, a two person. Um, fast attack vehicle. Look, anyone who's had the Ore Strike has marveled at its technical detail, but you've always thought, wouldn't it be cool if it had just two more seats? Yeah, fact, <laughs> fact. I guess the hammer, the hammer does exactly that. It's yeah. kind of bigger, bolder, badder. You know, it, it kind of takes after the Desert Fox, which is what followed the Ore Striker in yes. kind of the Jeep world. Yeah. And this one just adds more places to put people, which yeah. is, you know... You can never argue with that. That's a, yep, that's a, yep. a lofty goal. Good stuff. It's been hammer time for a good long while. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on, buddy. Let's move on to start confusing people because it's time for Commonwealth Colloquialisms, a.k.a. Over-egging the pudding. We got a pudding. We got a pudding. We're going to over-egg that pudding. Ain't got no criticisms. We got some Commonwealth colloquialisms. Right, so are you bookending? Are you got two this week? All right, yeah, I, I once again have two this week, okay. but I'm going to use the one of the ones that I had for last week and that yes. uh, didn't see use. Last week, in fact, was what they call Anzac Day here okay. in Australia, and I suppose New Zealand as well, which is a commemorative day where basically pay pay tribute to 
war veterans yes. um, of the various wars that uh, Australia has had a hand in. And, uh, I mean, it's a weird circumstance to be commemorating that because obviously with social gatherings now a major no-no people were encouraged to go into their driveways and light candles and just observe a moment's silence uh and on the news i caught wind of this term which must be aussie slang okay but they call their armed forces and i think particularly veterans are called diggers 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 and i I, i'm i'm not gonna research this because i think Coming up with our own explanations is far more fun. But what do you think the relevance of diggers would be to the digger the, the now, world? As a, as a kid, dur- during a few years, there was definitely something that went around school where, like, you would just use the. And I don't think this is the same, but we we would actually use the phrase "all right, digger" just as a "all right, mate" kind of thing. <laughs> so digger substituted there. But I've since leaving school, I've never heard it or used it in that way since then but in terms of calling war veterans diggers i don't want to say it's something as simple as they used to dig stuff so i'm not going to say that and i'm going to pass well i am going to say that because (laughs) I, i as far as i can tell i mean you know anzac day the initial veterans that are celebrated or remembered are the uh the first world war veterans and i mean the first world war was famously a sort of a a stalemate, a war of attrition where both sides had kind of dug down into the earth and and were sitting pretty or sitting ugly. I mean, the horrors of trench warfare are, are, are numerous. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that it was a war of trenches and a war of like digging into the earth, that's my guess. Okay. Shoot me down if I'm wrong, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> someone someone put him right or put him wrong. <laughs> what you got, Chiefy? My one is, uh, the, the more I thought about it, the more I wish I'd changed it because I, this may well just be a world a world colloquialism, uh, <laughs> as, I pre- <laughs> as, as I previously done. Too late. Uh, this actually, I did quickly look it up just to see if it was British in origin. And w- what I looked up, up said... Its first use in print was in Australia in 1941, but I don't know about other places. But if someone was said to be up the duff... You got me scratching my head. Oh, really? Yeah, you win. Hey, Chief! Buddy! Nailed it! (laughs) So, so, yeah, uh, my missus' friend, she is up the duff. Okay, explain, please. She's pregnant. Ha! Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I never would have guessed. Yeah, there you go. Up the duff means pregnant. Up the duff. Yeah. Not to be confused with up the chuff. Uh, which means you're happy? Uh, n- no, no. Uh, <laughs> that probably means you'd take it in the bum. <laughs> right, right. Gee whiz. Well, I mean, holds a goal, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Only one will get you pregnant. Jeez, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, up the duff. Yeah. What do you imagine was the origin of that? I mean, um, I guess. I, d- I have got the page here, and I can read it up. This is on phrases.org. Up the duff is a euphemism for pregnant. It is used most commonly, although not exclusively, to describe unplanned pregnancy. I didn't know that bit. Hmm. As with many English phrases that refer to sexual activity, we dive straight into a world of euphemism, and there are several obscuring <laughs> layers here between penis and pregnancy. Um, nice. Yeah, I don't know. Jeez, Chief, doing the research, man. There you go. Shall I start calling you Diagnostic 74? <laughs> diagnostic, six, diagnostic 69. 
<laughs> Very good. <laughs> so you've got another one for me. Yeah, my South African one, uh, simple, uh, well, not so simple, I guess. I don't know. Uh, if I was to use the word schnolly, what do you imagine that word be? Schnolly? Oh, pass us a schnolly, will you? No. Um, hey, look at the size <laughs> of that schnolly. Just trying to use it in a sentence <laughs> to see where it fits. Um, oh, man. It's uh, it's a euphemism for boogers or, or snot. Uh, okay. Right. Schnolly. Right. Yeah. No idea where it comes from, but any South African worth his salt will know exactly what you're talking about schnolly. if you're like, oh, bro, I've got schnollies for days. Yeah. I like it. I'm going to start using it. <laughs> yeah. I never know what to say because um, quite often if Evelyn has like blown her nose, whatever, and then she's got like a booger in her nose, I don't want to say, hey, look at your booger. So I'm going to say, hey, Evelyn, you've got a schnolly. Nice. Uh, really confuse her and confuse educate her. Evelyn. That's it. That's it. Cool, good stuff. I think we had three good ones there. And there'll be more of that next Crackers. week. Crackers. But right now, we're going to close the show out with... Listeners answer a question. Listeners answer a question. Posed by us, just for you, it's listeners answer a question. Nailed it. Nailed it. So, this week, we asked you with the untimely passing of Hector Garrido, famous for doing a lot of the early action... Um, uh, the battle card uh, action images that were on card the, art that maybe on the, I don't even know what I'm saying here <laughs> famous for doing a lot of the card art very good <laughs> were you ever prompted to buy a figure based on that card art alone now I think going in here you personally would have suspected it would have been quite high absolutely chief if I look back at my early purchases as a child, I think I was completely blinded by the artwork. Right. I seldom judged the figure on its own merits. It was always about the artwork. And not only the artwork when you're in the store in the flesh, because that, that moment is always very fleeting. I'm talking mainly about being back home, looking at the card back and these little inset images. Because, you know, they didn't put photographs of the action figures on the backs of the cards. No. They put the artworks, and the artworks were etched indelibly in my mind. I'd made my mind up which figures I wanted to prioritize long before I got into the store. So it was like I was a, I was a heat seeker, man. I was a guided missile. I was going straight in for the kill by the time I went to, you know, the weekly family supermarket run. Yeah. So it, it came as a big surprise that respondents were saying, hell no. I didn't judge it on the artwork at all. Uh, most notably, Jim Godfrey was like a, a big no to that question. So, But then by the same token, your buddy Mark Seddon, he's like, you know, Major Blood's action figure looks damn awkward next to the incredible Garrido artwork alongside, yeah, yeah. which just adds detail. It's fuel for your imagination. You kind of insert those details into the action figure itself, imbue the action figure with those details that you're gleaning from the card art. So that in your mind's eye as a child, I'm really paraphrasing what Mark said. Maybe I should just quote him instead. But, you know, in your mind's eye, and this is true for me as well, when you're playing, you're imagining that artwork in play. Yes. And that was what the, the Hydra Viper was to me. You know, the, the action figure rattling alongside in the blister is one thing. But the artwork, which looks absolutely horrifying... Uh, you know, I don't know if you can recall Hydro Viper's card art, but like he truly does look like a creature in it. Right. You're you're left asking why are his? Why, he's got talons and a webbed hand. 
I mean, he looks inhuman. Add to that the fact that the card art talks about various elective surgeries that he's had to become even less human and more resistant to working at depths. And you're like, yeah, man, all of a sudden the, the figure's appearance you forget about. It's all this other information that is informing how cool this guy is. Yeah. I think I think we had good responses, as always. So thanks to the listeners for putting up your responses across all the, the forms of social media that we, we put the question out to. And, yeah, there, there was definitely, I think, an early trend in the responses that, that weren't necessarily saying they bought figures purely based on the card art. There were a couple. Uh, a lot of people were just mentioning some of the really cool card art you know especially by Hector and and, and and other artists and I don't think that's ever in question that the, the card art was fantastic and then like you said there was definitely a pocket of people that the card art played no part in their purchasing of figures so yeah like Bart Simon my goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, some very strongly worded uh, uh, hell knows <laughs> I mean me personally I'm just trying to think now I've got my phone has literally run out of battery I tried sending you a couple of images but the phone died as I did it I've just pulled out a bag full of I don't know, about 20 or 30 card backs that I found. and mm. Well, this is radio after all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, let's not abuse the, the sharing of images too yeah. much. Uh, no, obviously, you know, I'll, I'll post... I think I posted these up in the early days of Talking Joe, a collection of my, okay. of my card backs. Uh, but I'm just looking and I'm thinking, especially that... Because I only really went full-on in the figures for maybe the first UK-wise, the first, like, three seasons... I think, and I was always getting the kind of little catalogues, the little oh, le- yeah. the leaflets, and obviously that had all the figures in that series on there anyway. So I think it was definitely a case of looking at the card art and thinking, these guys look cool, but I was mainly referencing the catalogue to see mm. which figures I like the look of. And being a completist, I would try and get every single figure anyway. So it wasn't necessarily, oh, I need to get this guy because he looks cool. Maybe it was just whatever was on display in the supermarket I would pick up. Mm, I had to prioritise, man. Having said that, the bazooka card art was definitely, oh, I've got to get that. You know, that's a figure I definitely want to get on the, off the basis of looking at that card art. Um, and also the eels. I thought the eel card art was like, this guy looks like some kind of super espionage trooper. I definitely want to get him. So that was a couple that definitely stood out for me. Smudger, your pal, he says yeah. that uh, practically all of his purchases were guided by the artwork, yeah, top, which is top. quite heartwarming. Yeah, And good. he buys original carded figures now. Damn, boy. Wicked. That, uh, that takes some budget. Nice. Is it, I'm, 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 as I mentioned every week, I'm out of touch with the the kind of adult collecting market but based on what you're saying there expensive for certain figures or lines or is there as with every kind of carded retro action figures is there a discrepancy in price across the series and across the individual figures look the high demand items will always cost an absolute mint you know anything of the 1985 vintage is is premium yes uh, or earlier um 90s figures are still affordable on card when i say affordable like between i don't know 40 and 100 dollars okay uh, for pretty much anything released in the the the, the latter parts of the the gi joe a real american hero run yeah 
but it's creeping up. Um, but then again, I don't really purchase or trade in carded figures, so I don't know what the market's doing. But obviously, yeah, there is a big split between 80s and 90s. And, and within the 80s, earlier 80s will command a premium. And then it kind of goes by character. Like Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes, Firefly, those are the guys that are really going to yep. gonna hurt your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And is that, I guess that's purely based on print run or availability or just... A desirability. Desirability. I mean, if there is only one carded action figure that you could own, what would it be, Chief? Good question, actually. Steve asked Chief a question. Steve asked Chief a question. What will he say? What will he do? That's a good question, but I don't know. It's it's one carded figure. It's almost, and this is not to not to downplay or sully anyone who collects carded figures, because more power to you. That's you know, I think they look great, but. The figure being in a box on a card, I don't know if it does anything more for me than just having the loose figure and the card loose. Having them married together, for me personally, doesn't really do anything for me. So having it mint on card, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's almost like asking me what's my favourite uh, favorite action figure or what's my favourite... Gee. I don't know. That's a good answer, Chief, because you're right. What does it add to have the figure joined to the card? If anything, it, it creates an interruption between you and the artwork. You know, if you can get a, 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 a card that has minimal tearing on the artwork, that's that's absolute winner. And that's why they do those sort of reproduction cards these days. People actually have been gluing action figures back on you kind of get reproduction cards reproduction bubbles and you kind of do it yourself oh really diy kits yeah (laughs) crazy crazy cool uh it's actually become a problem on the secondary market because a lot of these things are being sold as original oh shit they're actually records yeah i scored two figures from a a a listener to the gi joburg pod he had records that he bought as originals the seller hadn't actually realized this and actually made amends afterwards. He managed to get a right. successful okay, claim that's, that's through, nice. e- through eBay. But he, he gifted them to me because he was like, I want them to be opened. And I know you're the man to open because <laughs> okay. you like to play that's with your it. toys. That's it. Because, yeah, he didn't want anyone to be confused by these later on down the line in their, in their lifespan. Yeah. But, yeah, why would one record? I guess the answer is just to have that joy encapsulated of like going into like maybe a virtual or no sort of a you can create your own toy aisles basically and hang these on your wall yeah and relive the experience of going to a toy store in the 80s and seeing these figures hanging on their blister cards i mean that is definitely an experience that is gone from the world yeah i'm just i'm just lastly to to round off this segment i'm just looking at i'm just pouring over some of these card backs i've got and I'm coming to the... Re- Look at that road big one. Jeepers. I'm coming to the realisation that if I hadn't have had those leaflets, those catalogues, to show me the figures that were in the line, I think I would have most definitely chosen figures based off this card art. I really do. Mm. Yeah, road pig is particularly good. So Just the, the, the various tones on his flesh. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of glistening. He looks... Just the angle. Yeah, just the, the... Power personified. <laughs> yeah. That's a term I learned from the chief. <laughs> Power personified. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, yeah, just looking at this particular one. This is... What is this card for? It's for the Cobra Battle Gear, accessory pack number two. Uh, ah. It cost me £1.33 from Asda. 
and looking at this one those were the days looking at this one i'm not going to buy a wetsuit figure based on that card art i'm probably not going to buy a dial tone lifeline looks cool that's a good crouching pose on lifeline i like that uh jinx and raptor are pretty uninspiring i think techno viper looks cool uh falcon looks cool with kind of low hung shotgun yeah hydro viper yeah i'm definitely buying that figure based on that blizzard mm. love that action pose anyway I'll, i could go on all day but yeah good stuff thanks to the responses from the listeners as always we can't do this without you so keep up the good work We'll be back next week with another couple of issues. If you want to do your homework and read ahead, please feel free. It's up to you. We're not going to police it or clamp down on you if you don't do it because (laughs) we can't do that. We've got no way of finding you. But um, if you want to get in touch, you can do so in all the usual places. That's talkingjoecomics at gmail.com. If you're an old-fashioned guy, shout out to Sam Myers who sent another email our way. So appreciate the kind words, fella. Hope you're doing well. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter. That's talking underscore joe and find us on instagram that's talking joe comics also the facebook group has been getting some new members recently so thanks to all the the new people that have joined the facebook group recently it's talking joe a gi joe podcast i think something like that i don't know i don't even know what i'm doing these days <laughs> way past my bedtime but uh where where can the good folks find you if they want to see your stuff hey you know what well if you want to see my stuff particularly uh gi joeberg is what you want to hit but you can find me on all the the Talking Joe socials as well. I'll be sure to respond to anyone who calls me out personally or anyone who just wants to have a chat. Bam, I'll be there. I'll be in the comments threads. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, With all that said and done, we will see you down the road. Yo, Joe.